Overcoming evil with good. So this week we aren't just talking about hardships like sickness and financial problems. We're talking about evil. And that means bad people. Dealing with bad people. How many of you have ever had a problem with bad people? How many of you have ever been the bad person? (laughs) A little less enthusiastic response to that. But, you know, if we do the math on that, there's just as many bad people as there are people who have had bad things happen to them. But it looks different when you're the one having the bad thing happen to you than when you're the one doing the bad thing. It looks different. It feels different. How many times have you done something you knew was wrong, but you had an explanation in your mind and in your heart as to why it wasn't so bad? How many times have you shared that same heart for someone who did something bad to you? Like, well, I'm just going to justify that in this way. No, no, you do what they they call them ugly stories. Well, they said that because they're just mean. A simple, dark categorization of that bad person. You don't do that to yourself. To yourself, you tell a, a nice story. Well, I had to do that. I didn't want to. I was really tired. And you, know, and, and you go through that sort of a thing. But here's the deal. All of us have had bad things happen to us. And the reality is, is all of us have hurt other people as well. We need to acknowledge that, realize it's real. The fact of the matter is, this is a rough world to live in. Difficult things happen here. And if we are going to walk with God, we need to learn how to walk in this world, in this dark world, and not be crushed by it. We need to learn how to not be crushed by this dark world. So we're going to read Romans 12, 17 through 21. We're going to talk about this. There's a bunch of different things in these very few verses. But let's dig into this and see where we can get. So let's read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of go verse by verse. So Romans 12, 17 says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I'll talk about that in a bit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The possibility, the real possibility that we have in this life is to be overcome by evil. When darkness hits us, it can crush us and we can be overcome. But we are called to overcome evil with good. So in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. We can overcome evil with good. It's part of our calling as a believer in Jesus. It's part of who we are. We are overcomers. We can overcome evil with good. So let's go back to verse 17. Let's kind of work through this a little bit. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If someone does something mean to you, what do you want to do? Something a little meaner back, right? If someone pushes you, you want to punch them. Someone punches you, you want to throw them on the ground and kick them. But here in the scriptures it says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. When someone does evil to you, that was the, in the Old Testament deal, it was eye for an eye. It was, you don't get to escalate it. It can only stay the same. 
You can't escalate. In the New Testament, it's love your enemies. It's the next level up. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So, the command of Scripture is instead of reacting to injustice in the natural way, we are to bring something good into the bad situation. We are to repay good for evil instead of evil for evil. Because when you see injustice, either committed against you or someone else, some injustice in this world, the normal reaction to injustice is not justice. It's injustice on the other side. You know what I mean? Like it's a pendulum swing. If you push me so I punch you, that's not justice. That's injustice on the other side. It's a pendulum swing. So we naturally respond to injustice with unjust things. But what we want to do is bring something good into the situation. So when I was in high school, I could run fast, but I wasn't very socially quick. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't one of the cool kids who understood all those social things. I didn't really care. And I went to a track meet. I didn't really care that much about track either, but I was on the team and I was a helpful part of the team. And we were at this big meet and, and we were the best team there. And, and there was another team that was a rival team. And one of the kids from the other team saw me and he said some mean thing to me, which I didn't catch. So I said a nice thing to him. Like, oh, it sure is a nice day, isn't it? undaunted he said another mean rivalry kind of thing like you know we're going to destroy you losers you know or something like that it must not have been that direct but I didn't catch it again I missed it again I'm sure it was sarcastic or something you know and so then I said another nice thing and then he said a nice thing back to me the third time and we were kind of friends for the day and it was kind of neat you know we'd see each other at the starting lines and stuff like that and we'd kind of talk and it was very pleasant and then on the bus ride home have you ever had that realization on the bus ride home i'm like wait a minute he he was being mean to me you know and i realized what was going on and then i thought to myself what well, how would i have responded if i would have known he was insulting me and trying to build this rivalry thing i would have probably you know as the shy kid, I probably would have just walked away and felt bad or something. Uh, But it certainly wouldn't have been what happened. Instead, I unknowingly responded to evil with good in a very simple, easy situation. And I saw it turn. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It was very interesting. So that's what we're called to do, is not to repay evil for evil, But to do what's right, don't do a wrong in response to a wrong. Do the thing that's right. Now, verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I like this verse because it cuts us a little bit of slack. Can you fix every problem? Can you solve every relationship issue? You know, do what's right. Don't warp your mind into thinking you're doing everything you can if you're not. But the fact of the matter is, some situations we can't fix on our own. It takes everybody working together. So here it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You be the one that brings peace to the situation. If they won't have it, what more can you do? Try to bring peace. Try to do the right thing. If they won't have it, well... There's not much more you can do. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room 
for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room for God's wrath. This is a very important thing. When it comes to overcoming evil with good, we need to forgive people and move on with our lives. So it says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. When we forgive someone, when we look at scriptures like this, we acknowledge that they're not off the hook with God. So someone who's hurt you, someone you love, when you forgive them, they're not off the hook with God. They're still going to have to face their creator. They're still going to have to face the Lord. And you know, God is well able to take care of that person. Have you noticed? Have you read the Bible? He's pretty strong. So he's well able to avenge. It says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If there's a wrong that's been done, God will deal with them. I want to read Matthew 18, 6, just to drive this point home. God will deal with them. Matthew 18, 6 says, this is Jesus speaking, our nice Jesus, our, our love and forgiveness Jesus. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So a millstone was a, a rock about this big that they would grind grain with. And they, you know, they'd, they would turn it and it would grind the grain. So it would be like a, a great big anchor and be thrown out into Lake Superior and drowned. Is Jesus serious about this? How might you cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to sin? What if you're a bad example as a Christian and you make them disillusioned with the church and with God? That would cause them to sin. Any dark thing that you bring into their life can cause them to sin. In fact, let's just talk about something I've been thinking about for a little bit. You know, we want to overcome evil with good. When evil hits us, we want to overcome evil with good. But I see a different pattern happen. So when something evil happens to someone, it seems like there's kind of three stages. Stage number one is they're damaged by that evil. You know, when someone does something evil to you, you're damaged by it. But then it, it's kind of a strange deal. It seems like then people become self-destructive. They don't need to keep being hurt by someone else. They start hurting themselves. They start living self-destructive behaviors. You know, if you have a, a young person that's in an abusive home, when they become a teenager, they usually start living out self-destructive behaviors. So they start destroying themselves. They no longer need somebody to hurt them. They're going to hurt themselves. Then the next stage after that is they start hurting other people. So when we get damaged, there seems to be this tendency to then damage ourselves and then damage other people. And that's a disaster. We don't want that. We don't want to start hurting ourselves, and we don't want to, of course, start hurting other people. It causes this great big mess, but instead of that, we want to live in the godly way of overcoming evil with good. So we don't want to avenge. We want to forgive. We understand God will deal with that, and He's going to do it well, so we want to be willing to forgive. That's a big topic, isn't it? I got something I want you to grab hold of. If you get it, it can change your life. Forgiveness will set you free. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath means that they're not set free. 
Because God will deal with them. Forgiveness sets you free. And I see it like an old whaling ship and a whale. You know, way back, say the 1800s, they would drive a harpoon into the whale. And there would be a rope connected to the ship. And the whale would swim and and could never get away because they're connected to the ship. And the ship would keep the whale close by, and then they try to drive more harpoons into the whale and finally kill it. This is a picture of evil in this world. When someone does evil to you, it's like you're the whale that got hit with the harpoon. But what happens then is there is a bond created between the person who did the wrong and the person who had the wrong done to them. Have you ever been really angry at someone because they wronged you or someone you love? Like you wake up in the middle of the night just with their face and you're just like, ah. There's a bond between you and the perpetrator, between you and the person who did the wrong. There's a connection that holds you together. And it's not a healthy connection because what's going on in your heart when they come to your mind? It's not good stuff. It's dark, icky stuff. And so we need to break that bond. We need to get released from that damage. Because what will happen is that wound that occurred 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago will continue to hurt you throughout your whole life until you cut the rope and you break the bond. Forgiveness breaks the bond. And you say, I'm not going to hold that against them anymore. I'm not going to hold it. I'm going to release it. You let God deal with them. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got a harpoon in me. But now you can start to deal with the wound without the harpoon moving around anymore. And you can start to heal. But we must break that bond or the wound continues to grow. So forgiveness sets you free. God will still deal with them, but don't let yourself be continually damaged as the years go by because you can't forgive. Now, of course, my heart goes out to you if you are struggling to forgive a great wrong. God weeps with you. It's hard to do to forgive. It's a profound challenge, but it's something that God has for us. It's a blessing. It's a wonderful place to get when we can forgive and be free. Leave room for God's wrath. Then uh, let's go back to verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right, so let's make sure we understand what this is saying. What does he got cold feet mean? Does it mean that his feet were cold? No, it means that he got scared and backed away from the situation. What does it's raining cats and dogs mean? That there are dogs and cats falling from the sky? No, sometimes there are figures of speech that aren't exactly what they mean, but everybody knows what's going on. This is one of those that was a figure of speech back in the day, but it isn't one that we would understand. So we need to understand what the figure of speech is. In the Jewish culture, fire as a refining element was also symbolic of the cleansing of the heart, the taking away of sin, the refiner's fire. 
And so what they used to do when they felt guilty, like they had done something wrong and they wanted to repent of it, was they actually had some kind of headpiece they would wear and they'd put coals in it, fire, to say, look, I'm wrong, I need to be cleansed, it's my fault. And they would wear this thing. And so this is a reference to that. If you are feeding your enemy and giving them something to drink and helping them out, at some point they're going to say, look man, I thought you were a bad guy, but I guess you're not. You keep doing nice things for me. and I, I, just, I just can't take this anymore. And they will repent. That's what this is talking about. It will heap burning coals on their head. Means that they will repent and realize that they're doing wrong. So if someone pushes me and I'm nice to them. And they push me and I'm nice to them. At some point they're going to stop pushing me. If they push me and I punch them. Then they're going to do something more and greater. So we don't just... Hold the line, we de-escalate the situation by bringing in kindness. Now, we don't want to take this to an illogical extreme. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Verse 21, go to our conclusion here. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil. There are many possible forms of being overcome by evil. Many, 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 many forms. Some people just submit to a victim mentality. You know, they just think, well, I'm just a victim. Bad things happen to me. And they just carry that with them the rest of their life. They've been overcome by evil. They've started to submit to it. Some people, they put a hard shell around themselves. And instead of just protecting themselves from bad people, they protect themselves from everyone. And they protect themselves from their Savior, from their God. And they just have a hard shell. They can't trust anybody. They can't trust trustworthy people. They can't even trust God because they don't trust anything because of the darkness they've been through. And so they're overcome by evil in that they can't trust anymore. That trust part is broken in them. And there's so many going into that self-destructive behavior. How many people end up in addiction because they're trying to cover up the pain that they're going through because of something bad that happened to them when they were young? We have probably millions of those people in America right now. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Add good things into the situation. Add something good. This works in so many different areas. Let me tell you, try it by faith. Just think, well, the Bible says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So bring something positive into a situation and see how it goes. Try it by faith, because it's not going to come naturally. Someone's mean to you. You're not want to be kind to them. It's, it's counterintuitive. But what we need to do is try this by faith. Now, let's talk about being wise. You know, we're supposed to be innocent as doves, but shrewd as snakes. We're supposed to be wise. Do you think this might get taken too far to where you get taken advantage of? Yeah, so let's talk about that for a second. Because God's plan isn't for you to just be an enabler who gets taken advantage of all the time. That's not God's plan. So let's look at two fantastic scriptures. One that agrees with this situation and one that shows a counterexample. So let's do Matthew 5, 38 through 42, a classic section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is preaching and saying incredibly important things. Here we go. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Yep, Old Testament. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How many people would turn the other cheek? That's from Jesus. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Shirt off your back. That's from Jesus. 41. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Go the extra mile. That's from Jesus. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Just help people out. Even unreasonable people. Help them. Someone slaps you. Like, oh, yeah, good one. This one's pretty good yet, though. Does that sound like enabler? Well, you beat me up yesterday. Go ahead and do it again. What Jesus is saying here is be the bigger person. This is especially true if you have greater authority than the other person. Let's say that you're parenting a seven-year-old. And the this, this seven-year-old wants to do something that they're not going to be able to do. And you say, no, you can't do that. And so then they throw a fit. Do you then throw a fit back? If you do, that's super unfortunate. <laughs> Grow a little bit. But this is a turn-the-other-cheek situation. Seven-year-old throws a fit. You keep your composure. You keep your calm. You deal with it as the bigger person. Okay? It stops the escalation. It stops the cycle of darkness. That's what Jesus is talking about. Be the one who will stop the escalation situation. Now, John chapter 2, we see something that Jesus did, and let's compare it to go the extra mile, shirt off your back, turn the other cheek, all that stuff. John 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? He makes a whip, and he comes into the temple. He starts cracking the whip, scattering the animals. He's kicking over tables, coins flying everywhere. Is this turn the other cheek? Is this go the extra mile, shirt off your back? This is a very different tactic than turn the other cheek. I mean, this is civil disobedience. This is, this is serious, aggressive behavior. Were there times when Jesus turned the other cheek? That's why we have a cross in the church. Is because Jesus overcame evil with good by turning the other cheek and going to the cross and being willing to suffer and die in our stead so we could be set free. Yeah, he turned the other cheek. There were times he needed to do that, but there were times he made a whip and drove the animals out and made a huge scene. Those seem like contradictions, but let me tell you, the end goal is the same, to stop the cycle of darkness. Sometimes to stop the cycle of darkness, you have to be the bigger person and not escalate the situation. But sometimes you have to intervene. You have to actively take on the situation and do something. When the situation calls for it, be the bigger person. When the situation calls for it, intervene. Do the thing necessary to stop the cycle of darkness. So yeah, turn the other cheek, but don't let the cycle of darkness continue because you're willing to be abused and you just submit to abuse because you think you're following the scriptures. Then it's going to be time to take a stand. And say, you can't treat me like that. I don't deserve that. And you can have some self-respect and step up and stop the cycle of darkness by defending yourself. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes overcoming evil with good is being the bigger person. Sometimes it's taking a stand, intervening, and being aggressive. Do what it takes to overcome evil with good. I want to cover one more section of Scripture that that describes the attrition over time that can take us from enthusiastic believers in Jesus into a place of deep discouragement and a faith crisis. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes, as the years go by, maybe we face this situation the right way, we face that situation the right way, we face another situation the right way, and pretty soon, after a few years of having to do that, there's like metal fatigue. After a while, you just start to break down. Even though you, you handled those situations right, you just sort of get tired of having to fight. You ever gotten to that place where you've given and given and given and given and, and then now, eight years later, you start to crack. You're just not sure you can give anymore. That's a situation we hit in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at this. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 32. Remember the, those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So what type of person is being described here? Someone who's being persecuted. Someone whose friends are being persecuted. But they're staying positive through the whole thing. They're thinking, oh yeah, you can take everything I own, but I got treasures in heaven that are way better than this. And they're they're staying encouraged and full of faith through that. Wouldn't that be something? But it doesn't end there. Next verse. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Why would it say that? This is being written to people who are starting to be shaken as the years go by. And they're still fighting and they're getting tired. They're still having to overcome evil with good. And they're starting to wilt. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. This is one of the challenging verses in the scriptures. Have you ever started full of faith, full of excitement, ready to serve God and sacrifice anything, and you last for a year or two or five, and then you get tired, and your faith starts to wear out, and there's an attrition that happens over time when the big miracle doesn't happen, and The problems are still there, and we just get tired. Here's the verse I want us to grab hold of. Verse 39, it's a statement of faith. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not of those who shrink back and let evil overcome them. But we are of those who believe and are saved. This is an identity statement stated to people in faith, too. These are people who are are being tempted and they're starting to fade and they need to be re-encouraged to engage the battle in faith. It says here, again, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's not who we are, but of those who believe and are saved. 
We're the ones who believe. We're the ones who continue. We're the ones who overcome evil with good. We're called to overcome, to overcome by faith. The very next verse begins chapter 11 of Hebrews. If you know what chapter 11 of Hebrews is about, it's the great faith chapter defines what faith is. It talks about all these heroes of the faith who continued on. We overcome by faith. So as we pray, I've got two challenges for you today. Here are the questions. What situation do you need to add good into so that you can overcome evil? What situation are you in where it's been icky and icky and icky and icky and now you realize I need to put something good into that? I need to start overcoming evil with good, not just responding to evil with evil. It can be a work situation, it could be a family situation, overcome evil with good. Where do you need to add something good so that you can overcome? And what situation are you facing that you need to add faith to so that you can overcome discouragement? When it says something like, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And you think, yeah, I'm not considering this pure joy. This is a disaster. This is wearing me out. This has been going on for too long. I don't think I can make it. Where do you need to add faith so that you can overcome discouragement? So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that it's possible to overcome evil with good. Thank you, Lord, that it's possible to not be overcome by evil. But I pray right now for those who are, are thinking that that's a big, big problem, Lord. Increase our faith. Give us faith to believe that we don't need to be overcome by evil, but we can overcome evil with good. That the darkness of this world doesn't have to define us, it doesn't have to shape us, it doesn't have to control us, but that we can overcome that evil with good things. Father, I pray that you would show us the situations in our lives where it's been evil for evil, evil for evil, even if it's been minor situations, even if it's a big situation, show us, Lord, where we can put our faith on this verse and put something good into it and watch you overcome evil with good. Lord, show us the situations in our life where we've become discouraged, where we're just not sure that it's worth it, where we, we're fading from God because it's just gotten to be too hard for too long. Show us that, and Lord, help us to add faith to it so that we can trust you in it. Let your peace fall upon us. Let your joy give us strength. And let your love help us through this life so we can love those who are difficult to love. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.